Welcome to the Calgary Sessions. This is episode number 59. I'm your host, Jeff Humphreys. Uh, today's guest, um, I don't even know where this is going to go. Uh, I think it's going to be a fascinating conversation, um, just who he is and the space he's playing in and, and his journey to get there. So go ahead, name and uh, who you are. Uh, my name is Graham Edge, I'm co-founder of Energy Disruptors, and uh, I also have a bunch of other businesses as well, but main thing I do is energy disruptors. Yeah. So when we, you know, so Brian, my sidekick, he's, he's like, an, he's crazy about the energy industry, loves it, came, came from it. So when we were noodling ideas of who should be on the show, he was like, you got to get Graham. I'm like, I don't, how the fuck am I going to get Graham? <laughs> I'm not in the energy I'm world. <laughs> not hard to get, don't worry. <laughs> so, so that's how this, you know, Brian was the driver of this one, which is nice. really cool that you said yes. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, the Energy Disruptor Show is is a really cool event that we were at eight weeks ago, which is kind of hard. Like we were saying off camera, yeah. it was eight weeks. So it'd be cool to kind of weave the, the story till we get there. And then I never do research on people. I'm like, who is this Graham guy? So I Googled <laughs> it and found like all the businesses that you're involved with, which we might need 10 podcasts to cover everything. So And just to clarify, I'm not a member of the Moody Blues. Okay? <laughs> And 60, 68 years old or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You always have to like... Yeah, I always have to provise that. Right? Totally. A little context for yep. who you are. Um, so yeah, so this, would be, this is going to be a fun conversation for me. Awesome. I think, um, yeah, likewise. Yeah, I think what, what you've been up to and how you pulled it off is, is fascinating to me. So um, I like the guests to go back to a point in time, you know, as they're a youngster, whatever age, junior high, elementary, whatever. Back to a time where you things started to connect for you, you know, like... You realize what your interests were, you know, whether it's sport or whether it was, you know, school or how you were raised. So just go back to a time when, you know, the lights started to come on. For me, it was, you know, if somebody asked me that, I'd be like, I don't know, from zero to eight, I don't really remember life. Yeah, I've got a terrible memory. Yeah, me too. That time I'm, I'm like, yeah. But there's a point in your life where things started to connect with you. And I'd like to just, I'd like the guests to go back to that point in time. Yeah, there's... It's a great question, actually. I've not, not been asked that before. Yeah, good. See, yeah, um, I'm a thinker over yeah, here. This is, good. <laughs> this is good. So probably the, the, the first moment that comes to mind. So I grew up in a little village in the north of Scotland, so kind of middle of nowhere. So Like you, little, little? Like little, little. There's, you know, maybe a thousand people. It's like a shire. Yeah, like literally little village and uh, right on the edge of the highlands. So if you had almost a postcard of Scotland with like Highland cows and all that shit, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of where mm -hmm. I grew up. Yep. Um, went to the local school on the road, you know, five minute walk. And then probably the, the, the big turning point when I was a kid, when I was about 10, I actually won a tennis scholarship to go to school in England. So Which I went to boarding school so it was one of these weird dislocations of, you know, I'm going to this local school, tiny village in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Then the next minute I'm down living near London, staying with my uncle at the weekends, Monday to Friday at boarding school. Everyone at the school's like, who the fuck's this weird kid from the north of Scotland? Hillbilly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who's the hillbilly? <laughs> like what? And, you know, so that was, uh, but, Thinking back to my childhood, I, I think the common thread was just sport. Like I loved mm. sport and and competing, and I've always kind of had that yep. in, in my DNA. But that's the moment that would stick out when I first moved away. When um when you were growing up, did your parents did they just kind of force you into sport? Did they just let you try whatever you wanted to? And tennis like stuck with you, and you got decent at it, or how'd that even? Yeah, I think so. So 
both my parents were pretty active and sporty when they were kids. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd say it was probably mainly my dad. So my mum has her own business and she was working like all hours. Right? Doing what? So she's actually um, a fashion designer and a couturier. Still? Still. So okay. she started a business, believe it or not, when she was about 16. And she's 74 now. She won't like me saying that on this. But <laughs> so you think of the period of time yeah. right, that she's run her own business. Yeah. Um, but because she was working so much, basically my grandmother brought me up. So she lived with us as my mom's mom. Mm -hmm. And my dad didn't have the same kind of demanding job that my, with my mom's business. Yep. So really it was my dad taking me to different things and mountain biking and mm -hmm. I started skiing when I was, I think, three or four. And then I can't even remember how I got into tennis. I think I think there was a, a, a kind of my elementary school there was, you know, the softball tennis and I tried it and I just loved it. Mm. So that was when I went on this kind of tear. So what definitely wasn't them pushing me. It was mm. more, I had that kind of internal drive that I wanted to compete. And you say you went on a tear, like how long did the tennis thing go for? So I started, I, I would say started playing seriously when I was probably seven or eight. Yep. And and by that age, it was quite obvious. I had a, you know, I had a bit of talent. Yep. Um, and I would say I played competitively up until I was about 15 or 16. Okay. And then I got injured. I got tennis elbow. Oh, yeah. And um, as I started to get older, then I started playing other sports. Yep. So I started playing a lot of golf and really then kind of transitioned from pretty much giving up tennis, actually, mm. to then I was playing a lot of a lot of golf yep. and lots of other sports. Mm. So that was a definite common thread uh, throughout my childhood. Um. <clears throat> So when you left home, so that was for how, like junior high? Grades? No, great. So what would that be? So could, 10, I would have been oh, grade so, five. Okay. So actually, so that was, that was a big thing, right? When, cause I, my daughter's nine oh, so. and I find it unimaginable mm -hmm. the thought of sending her mm -hmm. to boarding school cause mm -hmm. You you forget how young it is. I know it sounds silly. Mm, that's so I look at the dislocation of when I moved because you know I went from this environment where my grandmother lived with us and you know it was a typical kind of you know pretty supportive home environment, but I wanted to be an elite tennis player. So I had that conviction, like mm. yeah, I'll go to boarding school because I want to get better at tennis. Yeah, and you knew what you were giving up. I knew I was giving but up. But you can see that. Yeah, but I do remember. I think back to that time and uh, I, th I reckon I must have cried every night no way. for probably three, four months when I first went to boarding school. Hmm. So it was pretty tough. Even though you were, you know, you could say it out loud, you're okay with the idea. I was but okay then, with the idea. And you get there and you're dealing with the I different... got there and then I was like, holy shit, this what is actually really hard. Hmm. And it was fucking weird, right? You're in a dorm with 14 other kids and hmm. the thing that, blew my mind was all the rules. So I'd gone from not a lot of structure less early and, mm -hmm. you know, pretty headstrong kid yep. to suddenly, right, you've got to be in bed at this time and this, this and this, mm -hmm. and you can't walk across this piece of grass and <laughs> like really quite bizarre mm -hmm. rules. So I found that pretty tough. But once I got through that first year, then it kind of unleashed my potential mm. because I think what I realize, what I realize now as an adult, looking back, I was kind of struggling at school. I was 
not co- not great at concentrating. Yep. Probably now I would be diagnosed with like ADHD or all something. Of it. Yeah, all of it, right? But back then yep. there was no. Yeah, yeah. You're just oh god, he's the restless one that doesn't read the question properly, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But what boarding school did give me was discipline, and the outlet was I played sport every day, mm. which I absolutely loved. Yeah. So looking back overall it was it was positive but it was pretty tough you had to gain your independence quickly do you um do you spend much time looking back like do you, do you, you know, know with your daughter no, being of the yeah. similar age is, is that what's causing you to go back now this is gonna sound maybe a bit odd but i'm going through this process called the the artist's way so it, this? it's kind of about rediscovering your creativity okay so uh, is this a um a structured process? It is. So it's a, it's a book that was written back in the early 90s. And um, a lot of authors and a lot of creative people will use this to kind of rediscover their creativity. Hmm. So the concept is that like your inner creative child, basically, mm-hmm. you lose that as you get older. Yeah. Because Which makes sense. it kind of gets crushed, right? Yep. And your creativity gets crushed out of you. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of three weeks through that process. What's oh, your like? So I'm quite, it's a 12-week process. Uh, so you, you follow the book and have to complete all these different exercises. But one of the things I'm going through in the last week is thinking about my childhood. What are the things that I used to love doing? What the th- you know, when I was eight years old, what, what, what did I want to be? Those kind of conversations. Who were those advocates when I was a kid? Who were those people that diminished and crushed mm-hmm. my spirit when mm-hmm. I was a kid? It's, a, it's quite an interesting process. Do you... Is it a coincidence that you're three weeks into this program, you and I are now like having this conversation at the perfect time? Yeah. Do you, do you give that any thought? Like why those things happen? So again, this might sound strange. No, yes, none of this is strange. This this, is like, you got me like tingling right now. It's like synchronicity is one of the, that's almost like what this week is about. Yeah. And, the, and it's about challenge yourself to be more open to possibilities. Mm. So I'll give you a weird example. So Monday last week, um, my car was in the shop getting new tires and there was a problem, right? It was getting, it's taking ages. So I had about three hours to kill. Um, and I ended up striking up a conversation with a stranger when I was sat, I was just having some food right at the bar. And it was one of these really impactful conversations. And when I first sat down, I got my laptop out. I was just going to do some work. And then the person next to me clearly wanted to kind of strike up a conversation. And because I was going through this process, I actually shut my laptop and thought, I'm going to, I'm going to engage in this. And then we had this incredible hour long conversation. And so it's weird, but one of the things it does is challenge you to, you know, be more open mm-hmm. and look for the where, when the universe is pointing you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're catching me at a super interesting time mm-hmm. where just at the beginning of going through that whole process. Yeah, and I don't, <clears throat> you know, there's all the weeks in the year, you know, I, I send you a link to pick a day and you pick this day and, you know, it just happens that you're in the middle of this thought process. Well, it's, it, it's pretty random because we were meant to get together maybe a month ago yeah. and then I was looking at last month. Yep. So yeah, there's pr- the, you know, it's funny <clears throat> when you first said that, <clears throat> my first thought was, no, nah, that can't be, uh, I'm, I'm going to choose not to see that as synchronicity. But then I've gone, actually, it is. It's right there. It is there, right? There's a reason why we're having this conversation in this moment mm-hmm. right now. So yeah, 
Really interesting. Fascinating. Um, wild. It, it, it's. I don't give it a lot of thought either, but sometimes, but I think that just means things are, you're going the right direction. Yeah. You're moving in the right direction. You're making the right choices and things are aligning. Yeah. And you say, you say, you know, synchronicity, like it's, it's all in the same idea, but it's hard to, you being a, like a involved in so many businesses, you, can you actually make decisions based on that? Or, or is it the idea of just being more open and then potentially those things start happening? Because it's it's a bit of a it, it, it's it's difficult, you know. If there's any engineers watching this, they'd be like, "What, what the fuck exactly. is this guy's talking about?" Two half creative like, dudes. Point A to point B. Yeah. You know, there's almost that concept. Yeah. But there's certain things where previously I would have looked at this this kind of thing and gone, um, maybe don't trust your intuition. Yeah. And when you, I think when you don't trust your intuition. Mm -hmm generally it doesn't go very well. Yeah. So what I try to look for is what's my gut instinct telling me? Cause rarely will that mm -hmm. steer me in the wrong direction. Yeah. And the other person for me is my wife, Michelle and my co-founder, Michelle. She has this incredible uh, intuitive compass, if that makes sense. So if, and normally if I'm thinking about a big decision and both of us almost have like a sense check on our intuition, yeah. So that's a that, that's a big thing. Whereas five years ago, I wouldn't have made decisions in that in that same way. Mm -hmm. Whereas we maybe as connected to my emotions. Yeah. When you say um, um, your first reaction is like I don't trust it. Yeah. Where's where's that? It's interesting. You, it's interesting. You can actually like you're you're actually seeing that thinking, and then you're choosing to go against it. Where's that coming from? So what is so interesting, what comes out of this process? So I know it's like, it's, it's like it, you need to check this out. Right? Well, the cool thing about this, I clip these moments so I yeah. never forget them. Yeah, I love and it. Then, and then I go do my homework after the thing because yeah. it's like. This is like, I was really skeptical because how I, how I um, started the process was Michelle is very, very creative and, and writes and it said to me, you really need to do this. I, I think it's gonna make a big difference. Mm. And how I would describe where we're at at the moment or where, where I'm feeling at right now is, it's almost like the, the next phase of my life. So the last phase I went through is probably around 2016 to 2018, where there was really profound change. This yep. is when we set up energy disruptors mm -hmm. and it was like trial by fire. And there were a lot of really tough things that occurred during that, that period of time yep. and we can kind of you know maybe get into some of that stuff in a minute yep. but it's now we're at the beginning of this next phase and i'm always challenging myself to be more open about what does that next phase involve and so maybe part of that is why i caught that thought process is mm. that's almost like an imposter syndrome or that negative thought like my first thought when michelle said do this was well i'm not creative like, why would I do this? I'm not a writer. Yeah. I'm yeah. not a director or a, you know, a podcaster. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, no, I think you actually really need to do this because you are creative and mm -hmm. this is going to enable you to kind of uncover that creativity mm -hmm. in, in a bigger way. So cool, man. And, and when you, when you lead it with like, this might sound weird to me, you're like, I'm like no, no, <laughs> this is, this makes so much sense to me. Cause yeah. the cool thing is I think it's, it's very difficult to actually articulate these things. You know, like to actually understand that you're, you know, it's it's a little bit of the imposter syndrome and to understand, you know, trusting your gut. It's tough to, 
is to have to actually like put some boundaries around those thoughts. And, and if you can read, if you can be a part of a process or some structure that gives you this like blueprint of like why things are happening. Yeah, and you, you there's certain tasks that I've had to complete and, I, and I've been irritated. Mm. And I've had to explore what is that? Why mm. am I irritated? Why is that? Why has that bothered me so much? Mm. So there's a, there's a lot going on right now with kind of thinking about what is next, yep. having had a, almost some time to reflect. Yeah. Um, cause it's felt like probably actually it's the first time I felt like I've been able to properly reflect since really the beginning of COVID. Yeah. It's kind of the first time in three years where I had to actually stop and think it's and a, breathe. And so then you, it's, it's the kind of the perfect time you get through the, uh, you get through the summit. Yeah. You come off the, like the high of it, pulling it off, ending, whatever that feels like the exhaustion, whatever it is. And then, and then to open up yourself to this idea, it's like the perfect time. Yeah. I think it is. And, uh, you know, one of the other things that I've done recently, which is kind of coinciding with this process, <clears throat> I've read a book called Imaginable by a lady called Jane McGonigal. And one of the, the, the whole concept is about how you better prepare yourself for the future and build more resilience. Because mm. we're living in this world where it feels like the pace of change is accelerating. Or even if the pace of change isn't accelerating, how much we hear about change is because we're in this kind of 24 hour news cycle and constant social media and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, and it can feel really overwhelming and uh, you know, it can affect your mental health. And I certainly found through COVID the points where I was you know, struggling with my, my mental health. Um, but one of the things in this book is, so if you, you know, if you picked up your phone right now, go 10 years into the future, pick this exact day in 10 years time and start to map out what you want your life to look like mm. in 10 years. So where do you wake up? What's the environment you're in? Mm. Who is around you? Mm. You know, who's your life partner? Who are the people that are important to you? How do you feel about your work? How do you feel about your, the impact you're making? Mm. And then it's interesting because 10 years is enough time to make really profound change, yep. but it's not so far into the future that you can't imagine the possibility of what 10 years looks mm -hmm. like. So I've also been going through some of these things that, so that's been quite an interesting process yeah, working through that. <clears throat> You're in a spot right now. Yes. Yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, but based, you know, having these, having some structure around you to, to go through this, does it actually feel like it's, it's, it all makes sense? Like it's not super uncomfortable? Yeah, it's definitely not, not super uncomfortable. It's more the frustration of, mm. I want to get to the answer quicker. Mm. Um, but what it's also meant is, you know, having conversations with my parents and mm. my brother kind of asking, Hey, do you remember this mm. about a childhood mm. or mm. I've got this memory. Is that how you remember it? Mm. Um, asking about more about actually my ancestors and their link to creativity and what yep. they did. Yep. And I'll give you a silly example. I was speaking to my mom the other day and I said to my mom, so was anyone in, you know, any of your grandparents, were they creative? And my mom for the first time, and you know, I'm 40, she never told me this. She's the third or fourth dress designer in a row in her fam in, in our family. And I never knew that. <laughs> so, like, so her great grandmother was like a couturier back mm -hmm. in the day. And my mom just thought never, you know, why would that be relevant to me? Crazy. So that was kind of weird that, that you see that kind of lineage. Did you look at your mom as a like super creative when you were growing up? Did you understand that 
the designing and like how creative that that process actually is? No, definitely didn't appreciate it. I wouldn't even say I didn't appreciate it until probably the last five or six years. Oh, so it's like the level of creativity. Oh. Um, I I actually kind of saw my mum as this hard nosed, you know, workaholic Boss, yeah. basically. Yeah. That her life obsession was her work and mm. her customers. Mm. Um, and it's probably not until the last five six years that I've realised the fact that she's made her creativity her living for 60 years mm -hmm. or 55 years mm -hmm. is kind of remarkable because lots of us have creative pursuits yeah. but very few of us can then turn it into something that yeah. is truly financially successful yeah. in a career do you um um trying to figure out this creative piece that you have in you do you think there's more you have more than you think you have i just feel it, like growing up in that environment and maybe, you know, your perspective of your mom is hardworking and, you know, just yeah. always working. But the creative, ener the creative energy that she has, do you think it's it's got to rub off on you? It's got to be do in what, you. Do you know, it's funny. Again, I <clears throat> never, if, if we were having this conversation five years ago, I, the last thing I would have described myself was creative. So how, how, how would you have described yourself five years ago? Well, this was before we started our businesses. Yeah. Um, I was deeply unhappy in my career. Just uh, working for people. Work, yeah, just climbing, I was like climbing a corporate I'm, ladder. It's like I was climbing a, a ladder that, when I got to near the top of the ladder, I was like, "Oh fuck, I don't want to be on this ladder." <laughs> this is what I get. Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of this realization, right? That you climb to that that summit, and then you're like, "I don't like the view here, and I don't mm. like what this is." Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure I had a clear sense of who I was five, mm. six years ago. Yeah. And it was probably through energy disruptors changed the course of my life. Mm. That whole process when we, you know, so when we kind of launched it and it was, it was just so excruciating getting it going. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I, I've heard about this a little bit. <clears throat> I want to take you back before we get there. Cause sure. Um, and you touched on a little bit, but like, um, you know, you're doing the corporate thing. Because it's, it's always an interesting, when you talk to somebody that's running multiple businesses now and creating, you know, launching a giant event, uh, just what that looks like. Because people, a lot of people see people doing their own thing and like, how do they do that? They just mm -hmm. decide to be their own boss. Mm -hmm. What they don't see is the 15, 12, 13 years of kind of doing the corporate thing, learning, figuring out what you don't want to do, mm -hmm. maybe more so than what you do want to do. So taking it back to, you know, coming out of university, what you're kind of looking at, what you're what you're eyeing, what's interesting to you, or what career path you're about to get on. You know, it's hilarious what I first wanted to do when I finished uni. I wanted to go and work for Diageo and sell Smirnoff vodka. And I'm actually saying, like, no, I don't drink now. So the, <laughs> I, the irony of that, that my dream is, like, I'm going to go and sell vodka and where, like, have lots of fun. And Where'd you go to school? Um, so I went to school in, in London. Okay. So what I finished, um, finished high school. Yep. At the boarding school? At, at, this was a different boarding school okay. now. So I went back to Scotland. Yeah. Um, and then it was one of these situations where finished school 18, had a brilliant summer. You know, that kind of age where, you know, life is, you, know, you don't have any responsibilities. Yeah, easy. Brilliant, right? Yeah. Looking back, time mm -hmm. of your life kind of thing. <laughs> and then I ended up going to university um, to a school called UCL, which is one of the top school, like top five or six schools in the UK. Okay. Um, to study economics. 
And it's probably the first major failure I had because I massively fucked up school. So I actually got kicked out. Just for I failed. Being, a, being a deadbeat, partying too much? I was like, so I, had a, I got my, I think at the time I got my three-year student loan in the first term. And I spent it all <laughs> within eight weeks. No way. I did, you, right? You were the fun guy. I was like fun Bobby. <laughs> like I was like the crazy guy, right? And looking back, I, I caught my gap year, right? Because I ended up like really screwing up. I failed by like 1%. And it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because really from, you know, when we were talking about earlier, when I was 10 through to 18, I was, you know, I got my academics together. I was pretty good at sports, yep. but then like, high, you know, not being an ego guy, but like high performer. You just, I, I think, yeah, I, did, I think most people would describe me as pretty high performing, okay. right? I was, yeah, I, I, I was, um, in all the kind of different sports teams and all yep. this kind of stuff. Yep. So I was definitely a, on a high performance track. Um, and then suddenly you get smacked in the face, right? Like you really fuck up. Like there's proper repercussions to this fuck up. Um, so I then had to tell my parents and that was like the worst, right? It's like, yeah, uh, I failed my, like one of the best universities in the UK. Uh, they're kicking me out and it's like, what am I going to do next? So I, anyway, I ended up switching schools, but that taught me, I think it, it was, it was humbling and I needed that at that time. So then I finished university um, and I moved back to Aberdeen. And the reason I moved back was um, Michelle, who was my girlfriend at the time, she was up in Aberdeen. So I didn't really want to go back to Aberdeen, but because Michelle was there, that was then. Yeah. And then it was like, right, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And that whole process was, you know, it's laughable now, but it's like looking in the newspaper for jobs. You know, this is like 2003, 2004. Mm -hmm. You know, the internet wasn't really necessarily like, you mm -hmm. know, looking for jobs on the internet. Yep. And I fell into recruitment. It was one of these things, literally the first advert I saw was, there's a job for, a, you know, a big recruitment company. And I went and interviewed them and they almost would do this kind of, you know, pretend you're doing a phone call to a yeah. candidate. And there'd be 20 of us lined up in this room, right? And it was trial by fire. No, so you, you have to, do your thing in front of all the people all that want the, the same people. job. And I remember shaking my pants. Oh, it's like, so horrible. This, this is horrible, right? <laughs> and it was, a, it was an environment where, um, so I got through and I got the job. And, um, but you had weekly and daily goals. And if you, if you didn't meet your targets, like the amount of phone calls you had to make, you got cut. That's it. Like literally how many cold calls you can make in a day. Yeah, it was like slinging mud at the wall. Mm -hmm. And I lasted about, almost a year. Wow. So by the time I was at a year, I was the second or third longest serving member of staff in a team of like 25 people, <laughs> which tells you all you need to know totally. about the turnover and the culture. Torture. So like spilled out of that, eventually missed a target yep. and got cut. And one of my good friends who used to work for the same company was like, hey, there's a guy who in executive search, he needs a head of research went and uh, went and met him and we just hit it off mm -hmm. and I ended up moving to into search and that was kind of the, the start of the corporate thing mm -hmm. um and so I then went I, you know I think really the next 10 10 12 years I kind of was in executive search doing a yep. lot of work and energy but really the last three four years not enjoying it not feeling the same motivation yep. where were we living 
So by this point, I was in Calgary. Okay. So we, we we moved out to Calgary in 07. And because of the job? Kind of job. <clears throat> and also Michelle's folks had moved out here okay. in 06. <clears throat> um, so so we knew we didn't want to stay in Scotland. Okay. We, we knew we... And so once she graduated... We then decided, right, we want to we want to move overseas. Canada'd be pretty cool. We're yep. both skiers. Yeah. So it was a mixture, and then, and it, how it kind of lined up with my jobs, I was able to make the make the move out. Did you test Calgary first? Did you come for a vacation first, or were you just like? Yeah, we we'd been out here a couple of times, and um, just liked it. Don't know. It was just you know I think it was great being close to the mountains, mm -hmm. and it was you know back then it was nuts. Oh six, oh seven, the city was crazy. Mm -hmm. People lining up to buy houses. Yep. There's a huge buzz about it. Yeah. Um, but back to your question, you know, when when did I kind of step off that corporate thing? And, yep. and let's be clear, I was never working for like huge companies. Mm -hmm. It was more small businesses. And, and you're placing people. You're finding placing people. That... people. So so kind of the first six years, call it of, of that, I was yep. kind of placing people, running the projects, yep. and then the latter five years, I was running the business. And so I kind of went from a transition of you know, running the projects to, to running the, the full business. Yep. And I was still, you still have billing. And it's, it's one of these environments where you constantly have revenue targets. And I've, I kind of thrived in that having a target. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was pretty successful. You know, I was, you know, I, I did a lot of placements and built yep. a good book of work. But the last probably two, three years, I was like waking up in the morning, not really excited. Yep not feeling challenged anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but how we ended up starting and disruptors in our businesses, it, it wasn't me being brave and suddenly waking up going, I'm an entrepreneur. And, you know, it was actually the parent company of the company I was working for at the time yep. ran into financial difficulty. So they went insolvent. So my old boss calls me and he's like, okay, bad news. Basically, um, the parent is insolvent. So that drags the Canadian entity that I was running into the insolvency process. So I made a snap decision, we'll buy the business. So I bought out the Canadian business mm -hmm. and it didn't cost a lot because <clears throat> you're negotiating with an insolvent parent. And within a few days, I'd realized I'd made a mistake. Why? Because I suddenly owned this business that I didn't want. That you weren't into. That I wasn't into. So it's like... What have I just done? Mm -hmm. What am I doing? And I've got all these clients saying to me, oh, we'll come with you and, you know, we're in mm -hmm. your new business. So that was a big moment. That yep. was like the first, you know, I talked about that first phase. That yep. was like the phase one. Um, so then what happened was um, Michelle had said to me, look, you're not like fired up about this business at all. What's going on? What's she doing during while she's, so while she's here? So at this point, <clears throat> She was um, at home with the kids because we just had our, Harry, I think, was one at that time, our youngest. So she previously worked for Shell, yep. had done the big corporate thing, mm -hmm. got a bit disillusioned with it. Um, she was then at home, you know, the kids were wee yep. toots kind of thing. Um, and she was saying to me, like, I feel like you need some inspiration. There's an event coming up in the UK that Richard Branson's hosting. I just have a feeling that you're meant to go to this event. Come on, no way. Yeah, so she'd seen it on social media and she's like, I know this sounds fucking weird, but I have this really visceral feeling that you need to go to this thing in the UK. Mm -hmm. 
And at that point, we'd probably been, it, it was about three months post starting, like buying the business. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was angry at myself that I wasn't motivated. And I felt like a couple of team members had come with me and I felt like I was letting them down. So anyway, eventually Michelle convinces me to go. And um, what, was there, was it the, um, was the, the conference, <clears throat> what was it that she thought you would get, that you would enjoy? Was it the industry? Was it the topics? Was it like, what, what, what do you well, think that, it was? That event was called Virgin Disruptors. Okay. And it was all about entrepreneurs who were making impact. Hmm. So I suppose now you would call it impact entrepreneurs, right? But that wasn't really a thing in 2016. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it was a combination. I'd always been a Richard Branson fan. Like I'd oh, read, yeah. oh, yeah. like, you know, a lot of his autobiographies. And yep. Particularly growing up in the UK, he was like a bit of a hero in terms of for mm -hmm. entrepreneurship, kind of like the Bill Gates of the UK kind of thing. Yep. Um, but he was a bit of a maverick, right? That kind of appealed to me. And yeah, it was literally just... He's going to be there. He's so going to be there. Let's go check it. It's all these entrepreneurs. You should go. And I was like, what a waste of money. Why would I go? There's nothing to do with energy. Like, what? What? why? Mm -hmm. And Michelle was adamant. So she bought me the ticket. Awesome. And that then... So what, what ended up happening then was it was in an auditorium, you know, a theater, 600 people. And I randomly sat next to a guy um, called Roger Atkins... And Roger turned out to be one of the top experts in the world on electric vehicles. And Roger and I, you know, when you meet someone, you just have that instant connection. Mm. So we're, we just had this instant connection. So we hung out the whole day. And then there was um, an individual emceeing the event and she was absolutely incredible. And I was kind of mind blown by this lady who was hosting everything. And she was interviewing Richard and yep. all this kind of stuff. Just her, like her tone, her, tone how she kind of just just everything about her, i was just yeah. absolutely blown away by her. um anyway that individual turned out to be holly who now hosts energy disruptors so meeting roger seeing holly i was then flying back to calgary the day after and i've got all these ideas spinning in my head and i'm for the first time probably in years i'm feeling like really fired up yeah um, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, wherever I go, I typically have a notebook and I kind of old school, right? I like to kind of write out Still. ideas and notes. Yeah. Okay. So I'm on the plane and I, you know, I can't sleep and I'm like thinking about all these people I've met and I just wrote energy disruptors question mark and Roger and I align with Holly. There was almost this idea of what if we took a bit of inspiration from this event in the UK about entrepreneurs and kind of changing the thinking what if we did something like this in Calgary, but did it on energy? And that was that was like the first seed mm. of the idea mm. for, for the summit. Crazy. Yeah. And and all on, a, <clears throat> you know, when you're pushing back on the idea of flying over there, yeah. little did you know it turns into the idea. It turned into the idea. And it's funny because then the, the next iteration was, um, so I get home straight off the plane, um, and we go on to like GoDaddy and I don't know why we did this, but we checked for energy disruptors.com and it was available. It's like 20 bucks mm -hmm. and we just bought it in that moment. And like, fuck it. If we never use it, at least we got the domain <laughs> Whatever. and that it was weird, but buying the domain, it suddenly felt like, right, we've actually taken our first step. Mm -hmm. And then within a few days, 
um, I reached out to Holly on LinkedIn because I never met her in person because yeah. it was such a big event. Yeah. So wrote her a note basically saying that I've got this idea for this energy thing. Would you have a chat with me? But I want to get heads up. Never done an event. No money. It gets half baits. No fucking clue why I'm even reaching out to you. Got a domain name. I had lots of like, <laughs> lots of, you know, um, disclaimers mm -hmm. before the note. And then it, it was one of those things I sent it and instantly I'm like, I need to recall that message. How do I recall that message on LinkedIn? And, and you know, it's like, there's no way to do it. Yeah. And forgot about it. Um, and then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I have this note pop up. It's Holly. It's like, you know, you know, it made me laugh. Like, let's have a chat. And then we got on a Zoom call and that was it, right? We hit it off. Yeah. And it was then, right, we're going to do this. Mm. She was in. What year was this? That was late 2016, early 2017. So the lights are on. You're like jamming. You're ready to go. Yeah. What, what's going on with the business? Are you like sloughing it off to the to team members to kind of run it for you? And you're kind of changing your, your yeah, focus? Yeah, I'm having to try and kind of keep the wheels on that enough that it's, you know, yeah. it's getting going. Yeah. But really, all my energy is being poured into this yep. seed of an idea. Mm -hmm. um, and we did a couple of things that were, you know, looking back, crazy. Like, I honestly don't know what we were thinking. So we had the idea and then we're thinking, right, if we're going to do a big event. And the, the idea was quite simple, right? It was, we didn't like the conversation around energy transition and net zero. So we felt it was all kind of in silos and echo chambers and you'd have like the renewables people hated oil and gas and oil and gas were like, well, we're the solution to everything. And nuclear people were like, no, we're the solution. And all these energy storage, and you had all these different pockets of people. And what we very quickly realized was none of them were really talking to each other mm. and they kind of all viewed each other with a lot of distrust. Yeah. And sorry, your background in energy was, was kind of working with companies to put people in place. So exactly. You, you were there you were just kind of learning because you were in, you were kind of close to these. You know, I was really close to a lot of the, the companies. Yeah. So I had a, a, a good enough understanding of the landscape. And, and so the I wasn't, I wasn't a technical expert, yeah. you know, I couldn't go and design a well yeah. or, you know, a battery, but I knew enough about yeah. the space that I had a, you know, I could yeah. talk with credibility. Yeah. Um, and I, and I could see almost the bigger picture piece. I think it was probably one of my strengths was mm -hmm. all these kind of loose threads. Yeah. And I'm going, well, why has no one brought mm -hmm. this all together yeah. under one umbrella yeah. and brought these people together to try to drive change? Mm -hmm. And the idea was like, can we get all these people in a room and get them start collaborating around actually accelerating energy transition? Mm -hmm. And what if we did it in Calgary? Almost like the last place on earth you'd think you would do something like this and call something energy disruptors. So that was kind of the initial seed mm -hmm. and then we thought well if we're going to do this and we're going to create this big summit we need a, a speaker that's got credibility because we don't have any credibility it's not you on stage we don't yeah it's not like <laughs> who the fuck's this guy right there was no um you know we didn't have a track record we'd mm -hmm. never done an event before yeah. so when we were thinking right we're going to get sponsors uh, we literally had a blank sheet of paper and this was the idea so we thought well what if we went and got richard branson what if we got him excited about the idea? And so that was kind of the first stage of what mm. we we're going to do. And we'll, then we decided, well, if if we're going to do this, we should reach out to Virgin Unite, his charity. 
So we reached out to Virgin, kind of, we had some people here help us who had some connections to Virgin mm -hmm. and Richard and people like Holly. And um, we basically got back from Virgin. Love the idea, guys, but Richard gets a thousand invites a day. Mm -hmm. There's no way, like, what if you can't get this going? So we then went back to them and said, look, if we made a large donation to his charity, would he get involved and potentially yep. speak? Yep. And when I say large donation, the first stage of the donation mm -hmm. was going to be about $150,000. Large. Large, right? That was the first stage. So we basically decided we were going to clear out the company bank accounts and put all our money on red effectively. And we wire transferred 150 grand to Virgin United, his, his charity. Wild. And we and I remember within half an hour, it's like, is this a scam? Oh shit, have we just sent all our money? <laughs> and if someone said to me now, yeah. why did you guys do that? Mm -hmm. I honestly have no idea. No idea. It's one of the it's one of those moments that you hear about. You yeah. know, you know, like those moments when, when people are building something and there's that there's that moment when they have they have to make that decision to get this thing going. Yeah. And and you're it's you're lucky that you and I are having the good conversation. Yeah. Because it went good. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are in the similar spot and it is the wrong choice. And definitely for whatever reason, you know, it worked out for you. It's, it, it it did. So what that then enabled us to do is like, oh, Richard's son, like he's in now and they know we're serious. Yeah. So we could then go to sponsors mm -hmm. and say, hey, we've got <clears throat> Richard Branson committed on this. Yeah. And that really changed the nature. But I'm making this sound like it was like A to B, but this is, this took six, seven months yeah. to work through all this and yeah. kind of figure out, right, that was the right stage. Yeah. And then we started going to sponsors. Did you know that the order of operations? No. Because no. you've never done events. I had no idea. But, I didn't even know how to put a, a pitch together for a sponsorship. <laughs> but it makes sense when you look back, right? You're like, think I, I need the keynote. Okay, here's yes. the keynote. Yeah. And then you back and then you reverse engineer. Okay, how do I get access to the keynote? Yeah. And then you get this. And then once you get yeah. the keynote, then you go to sponsors because they have yeah. money and they want to be associated yeah. with the guy. Yeah. So it all makes it's it makes a lot of sense. It does make sense now thinking like in but because now you now you do the it over level over. that we committed yeah, yeah, yeah. at yeah. was was uh, unusual it was pretty out there and i don't want to say on a whim it was pretty much but it was yeah it was quick it was on a bit of a wing and a prayer yeah but weirdly we all felt that we had to do it mm. and i can't even really mm -hmm. i've tried to think like why mm -hmm. why did we feel so strongly mm -hmm. that we were on the right path so there's a bunch of stuff about that phase, like 16 to 18, that was really difficult. So kids were one, of th one and three at that time. Um, I was super stressed, like really fucking stressed. And I remember we were about six months out from the first event, which we hosted in May of 2018. Okay. And at that point, we were looking at a loss of about six or $700,000. That we were going to eat personally. You right? knew that before the event even happened. Yeah. Okay. So we'd cashed in our pension. Mm -hmm. We cashed in our RSPs. Like we were like all in, like fully committed. Which that's at a whole different level of being uncomfortable. Like that's, yeah. That's, I mean, I, I like it, it's. I'm I can, not ashamed to admit. You know, I'm at probably the lowest yeah. point was around that Christmas. 
um, Michelle was grocery shopping and uh, her credit card bounced. Mm. She's trying to pay for like $100 mm. of gro groceries, mm. 150 bucks of groceries and, and her credit card bounced. So I get a panic phone call. Mm. Michelle's like at co-op trying to pay for groceries. And I'm thinking, what the fuck what have I doing done? Here? What am I doing? <clears throat> and I remember, um, because Rewind two years ago, pre then, it's like we're in good financial shape. Yeah. Didn't like what I was doing, mm -hmm. but we're in a we're in pretty good shape. Yeah. Um, and none of our family really understood it. Like they were all going, like, "What are you doing?" Like they just and they didn't know the extent of how bad it was. Yeah. And so what I had decided was in my real, you know, fucking stupidity at the time, I was so stressed that I was drinking every night at this mm. point. So I was like, right, I can't even manage how bad I'm feeling. It felt like it's the only time in my life where I felt like the walls are closing in. Mm. Um, so it got to the point where I wasn't like waking up going, I want you know, neck a bottle of vodka. Yeah. But every night I was like, I would have a bath, listen to like classical music, go make like a double or triple vodka and like ginger beer. And I'd sit in the bath for like two hours, almost wanting the bath to swallow me. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, that was, and then we stumbled through kind of 2018. Yeah. So we get to the event and we'd managed to close the gap. And I, and I knew, I hadn't told the team, I knew that we were still going to lose money. Yeah. But I knew if I told the team, it would destroy them. Like it would take all the yeah. momentum and the wind out sales. So we ended up losing uh, just over $200,000 on the first summit. And from the outside looking in, everyone would have gone, wow, it was so successful. Like, oh my God. It looked like it was. I barely remember the first event. I was mm. so tired. I've never in my life been that tired. Because for pretty much two years, I'd worked, and I'm not exaggerating, probably 100 hours a week, and I was drinking a lot, and mm. I was just like, I was a mess. Yep. I was exhausted, completely burnt out. So we get through the first event, um, and it took me six months to recover. Yep. It took me fully six months. But about two months in, I realized, if we're ever going to do this again, that I need to quit alcohol make some really big changes. Um, and that was kind of a profound turning point mm. in, 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 in my life in terms of what, what kind of happened next because of that. Um, and you obviously knew, you knew you had to make a change because it's not sustainable. Yeah. <clears throat> and because your brain's probably not functioning at a high enough level to make good decisions because it's polluted. Yeah. So you decide to do that by yourself, cold turkey. So what happened was... Um, I got so drunk at Michelle's birthday just after the event, like lying in the street drunk, right? And I'm thinking like the time I'm like 35 and I'm just going, what am I, what the fuck am I doing? I remember waking up the next day and it wasn't like, I was just like got really drunk, right? Nothing super bad happened. Yep. But I just remember waking up feeling this deep shame, mm -hmm. like really deep shame yep. the next day, yep. really embarrassed of how I'd behaved. And it was like, I couldn't even process how I was feeling because there was just so much there. Mm -hmm. So I read a blog about someone who'd given up alcohol for a year. And it's like in that moment, I just decided that's it. And I suppose one of the strengths of my personality is when I get an idea in my head, 
I tend to be like a dog with a bone yeah. and I'm all in. Yeah. So that was almost five years ago mm. and I've nev never like had a relapse, never drunk since, not had a drop of alcohol. Mm -hmm. It was like, and again, I want to be clear. It wasn't like, definitely had a problem with alcohol, but it, it wasn't like the only determining factor, if that makes sense. Yep. But, but what I realized was from a mental health perspective, yep. removing that was gonna really, and I did not realize fully the transformation that would have on my potential and the capacity I was, the performance I was able to yep. put in. Yep. It probably took me a couple of years to actually realize, holy shit, like the biggest personal change I've ever made, that was it, like that was a game changer. Because you're clean and then you can perform. You can do things yeah. that you just couldn't do before because you weren't. And it, it and it went deeper than that. It was, I actually had to process my emotions mm. and how I was feeling about all this stuff. So often what people would do is you use alcohol to celebrate and use alcohol to no, you know, you know, dull down pain. Yeah. And by the way, lots of people can do alcohol in a, a responsible manner. Mm -hmm. But I was one of those people that, you know, one beer would be two beers, would be three beers, would be oh, I'm now dancing on the table at three in the morning. Yeah. You know, I was that kind of, yep. you know, that kind of person. Um, so I, I, I recognized that there were, and it wasn't just about the business, right? It was like, yep. if I'm going to be a good husband mm -hmm. and, and a good, um, good dad. I've got to make some, and that was that was a really big shift in my thinking. Um, was there any pressure, f you know, family members or people suggesting that you should make this change, or was it just like you 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 realized it and it was like it's time to change? Well, it was it, it was it was interesting, right? Because there's a perception that comes of being Scottish and alcohol and like mm. life and soul. Like I was one of the, if not like the ringleader of my friends, like. Right. If there's a night out, yeah. I was pretty first on the list, if that makes sense. Yeah. And suddenly you're going from like fun Bobby mm -hmm. to what the what mm -hmm. the hell? He's sober now and who's he's not stiff? like who's the stiff, right? Mm -hmm. So I'd say my friends initially were probably skeptical. Yeah. And it, most of my friends from Scotland. Um but now it's like totally yeah. normal. But within the first year, it was like, oh my God, how's this, how long is this going to last? Mm -hmm. Like they were all thinking it was just a, a small phase, yeah, right? Yeah. So after you, after you decide to quit and then does that give you the energy to look at the next, to spin up the next event or, or are you looking at, you know, doing something totally different? So we, we took that summer off. So we did the event May of 18. Yeah. And, um, and we were, it wasn't just me, obviously Michelle was, we were exhausted. Yep. Really, like really now looking back, we were burnt out. Yep. So, but by the end of that year, we were starting to think, okay, maybe we do another one. And we had all the sponsors coming to us saying, you've got to do this again. And we, we'd had such good feedback on the first one. Yep. And then subsequently the first event had won Canada's best conference for that year. Which was a huge thing, right? And yeah. in a way, like we didn't realize how big a deal it was at the yeah. time. Because you couldn't see it. We couldn't see it. We yeah. were too close to it. Um, and you knew what was happening behind the scenes too. And we knew it. And we kind of, it, and it didn't feel authentic because yeah. it hadn't made money. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, we kind of like, well, if anyone knew the reality of this. Mm -hmm. So in some ways it might sound odd, but the second one was almost proving to ourselves, could we do it again? Yeah. Was it just a fluke, yeah. the first one? 
So in many ways, the second one was about, could we actually do it? Was mm -hmm. it a one-off? Yep. Could we evolve it? Um, and then we came out the second one and realized, oh, we, we, you know, we can actually do this. When was that one? That was late 2019. That was September of 19. Okay. So and then the pandemic hit. And then it was, you're facing reality of you've got a business that is doing millions of dollars of revenue. And then literally a day later, it's yeah. zero. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like a gradual decline. Mm -hmm. It was, it fell off a cliff. Yeah. And then it was really, what the hell are we going to do? Yeah. We've got to, how are we going to survive this? That was, that was pretty rough. Because the second one went good. Second one went really good. Second yeah. one made money. Yep. You know, we got really good feedback. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah. Good guests. Uh, the people that attended it found yeah. it we beneficial. Got, and yeah, and I think we evolved it from the first one. You know, the, there were things in the first one. You're 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 learning as you go through this, yep. and we'd scaled it up so rapidly that it was, it was a point of maturity where, you know, it, it was like almost ahead of where it should have been, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. But what also had happened was, the behind the scenes was pretty shaky, right? There was. We didn't have a lot of systems and mm -hmm. infrastructure, yeah. and like, because it, it wasn't really even a, it was still just an idea. Yeah, it wasn't almost. We didn't think it had any permanency. Mm -hmm. we we're like, well, it's cool, it's fun. We'll do another one. Gut, like your gut's kind of driving this. Gut's still driving it. Um, so the second one, we came out of that. Yeah, and um, and we had all these sponsors kind of fawning over us, going, "You got to take this to new." Houston and okay. Singapore okay. and new and existing partners. Okay. Like everyone's like, oh my God, like what's next? Um, and then, you know, reality slaps you in the face. Mm. And so, and I found that tough early COVID because I felt resentful. If I'm, be, if I'm looking back, well, I was, I, I felt like the yeah. rug had been pulled just as we'd managed to yeah. get to point where... Mm -hmm. Starting to be successful and stable, and mm -hmm. I really struggled with that initially. Mm -hmm. I felt angry actually, which makes complete sense, right? Like, yeah, to actually put a win on the board, yes, and yeah. to and to understand that you had um, positive momentum. Opportunities yeah. were probably staring at you, and then yeah. something out of your control just like yeah. flips it all off. Yeah, yeah. So that first three four months was, and eventually it was like. Michelle said to me, you just snap the fuck out of this. Yeah. Like, if you're going to... Put it to bed. It, 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 there's nothing we can do. It's yep. totally out with your control. Um, and then bizarrely, I got invited, and maybe this is about synchronicity and you know things happening for certain reasons. Um, someone at the UFC had invited me to be a mentor on a hackathon uh, about the future of Calgary. So at this point, the pandemic's like three, four months in. And you remember then it was like, Dude. you didn't even want to touch your door handle. Dude. You know, it was Somebody like. drops off dinner. You're like, yeah, what am I exactly. going to do here? I was washing my groceries, you know, know. <laughs> you know? like Lysoling my groceries, like all of us, right? You know, it was so crazy. Yeah. And um, so I think it was MOU and you've seen, I can't remember the other group, had put on this hackathon. And, and the premise of the hackathon was basically, can we do some community initiatives that would help support small businesses early in the pandemic? And, um, and what they were going to do is get MBA students to basically come up with ideas and then try to win this hackathon with the best idea. Yep. So I was assigned as a mentor and I remember I got assigned to the tourism and something category and I'm like, 
the fuck I know I, I, I know they're obviously thinking I'm like some events person <laughs> yeah I'm like I'm not an events person and you've put me in this tourism thing. like what value can I bring mm -hmm. but anyway I ended up really enjoying the process and I got paired up with these MBA students and um, they had this idea of what if, what, if, what if we did like a community-wide um, scavenger hunt in Calgary so I then roped in Michelle and Michelle and I then, after the students that we were mentoring won the hackathon, um, we launched this thing called the Great YYC Staycation. And we actually started this little business. And the idea was, could we create um, a scavenger hunt that would support local businesses? And so we got mm -hmm. that spun up. We managed to raise a couple hundred thousand dollars within like a week. Um, and we ended up, we had 7,000 Calgarians take part in that scavenger hunt over five weeks. They had to complete like 250 tasks. Wow. I think we had about $100,000 of prizes. Mm. And it got like loads and loads of attention. And that one little community project mm -hmm. kind of lifted me out of my funk, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Just gave you, um, well, got you out of your head. Probably got yeah, you. did. And, and to be creative and working with people that are, you're, you're working with a bunch of people that are in the same situation, you know, that yeah. something got turned off in their life. Yeah. But they choose to go and do something with it. Yeah. And it felt good to be just doing something, mm -hmm. right? Not sitting idle, stretching our brains. Yeah. And so, so that kind of, that was 2020. Mm -hmm. And then it was, okay, 21 was, well, maybe, yeah. maybe we can start thinking about the summit again. Yeah. So that's been... Anyway, sorry, that's like a lot. But that's, no, but that's like, like... I hope it gives you a bit of the context, that's the background. Because people always see the highlights. Yes. They, they yeah. see you cruising around the show eight weeks ago. Yeah. Looks amazing. There's some wild people talking. Yeah. It's a lot going on and you're just yeah. kind of cruising around doing your thing. Yeah. They see that as like, oh, this guy's got it figured out. He's got it all made. Yeah. Little, you know, there's a story behind everything. Yeah. And I think... Yeah. And I think... The story stories need to be told, so people have context, you know, so they they understand it's not just to wake up and pull this thing off. It's like work and pain and more pain and yeah. And I think I'm learning <clears throat> to be more vulnerable. So I wouldn't have had this conversation four or five years ago, yeah, yeah. right? I wouldn't have yep. wanted to admit yep. where we screwed up, where the shortcomings or the challenges, mm -hmm. the, some of the personal things we had to change. Yep. So I'm, I've, I've definitely, and maybe that's also, you know, it's funny, the the other thing aside from kind of mental health and being able to manage pressure better without booze, the other thing it really helped me with was to regulate my moods and, and also to build true confidence. Yep. So if you'd got a bunch of my friends together a decade ago and said, you know, where would you rate Graham on a scale of one to 10 on confidence? Maybe if I said like 12, he's <laughs> a little bastard, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But actually the reality was not yeah. that I actually thinking back, I wasn't actually, it was a, it was a bit of a facade. Yeah. Often with highly, mm -hmm. you know, confident people, mm -hmm. some of it is, and so w in a way, stripping that all back, removing the, the alcohol yep. as a confidence booster, mm -hmm. I actually had to almost get comfortable with going to events sober and realizing actually, I want to still be interesting and not be that stiff, awkward guy. And yeah, yeah. So I'm actually going to have to build deep, true confidence. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that's changed in the last four or five years is that 
that transition, if that makes sense, on on, on true confidence. And is that um, is that you figuring all of that that out? No, definitely not. Because it's, it's a it's a super thoughtful, progressive move. No, that's been a combination of friends and yeah. Michelle and yeah. um, reading lots and mm. reflecting and other people's observations, yeah. really thinking about. Um, and I suppose when you look at all these kind of trials and tribulations, you go, you know, what, what, what what's it teaching us? So mm. in those tough moments, there's, there's, there's times if I'm having a bad day, I'll look at friends who've stayed on that corporate yeah. um, ladder yep. and I will feel resentful. I'll go, oh, fuck, I wish I had a pension and Just I wish I... check showing up. Yeah, and I wish I didn't have to worry about always mm -hmm. knowing that every month I need yep. to deliver and bring, and I, it's only on, not only on me, on our team, yep. but you feel... Sometimes that weight of responsibility can be mm -hmm. overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you, you're observing almost like the imposter syndrome and those voices that are saying, give up. And so part of it is the capacity to absorb that pain. And part of it is the willingness to not stop. You know, it's almost, yeah. like I still have that sense of conviction. I yeah. still wake up in the morning feeling energized. Yeah. So despite the challenge, I go, and I also try to remind myself where I was five, six years ago when I was waking up not motivated. Yep. And I hated that. Yep. I really disliked that feeling. And I don't have that problem anymore. You just got new problems. Yeah, I got other problems, <clears throat> but, but that's But you're willing to, you're, it's, um, you're just willing to handle those or deal with them or give them energy and fix them versus, because you, you can fix them. You're not relying on a big corporate, company that you just you're just there and yeah you're gonna suffer with whatever they decide well and what the plus side of of that is you have freedom mm -hmm. so i have full autonomy mm -hmm. which is quite unusual mm -hmm. so i want to do a podcast yeah. during the day on a monday yeah. i want to go and ski on a wednesday because yeah. there's good conditions mm -hmm. i can make those decisions i'm yeah. empowered um because i have that self-autonomy so thinking back to where did that come from, I actually think I'm more like my mum than I care to Dude, admit. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm hearing the story for the first time. Yeah, and and you just touch on your mum, but I'm just like, oh, she's been doing her own thing for all these years. She's creative, yeah. and she's a hardworking person. Fiercely independent, yeah. right? And so you probably absorb that stuff growing up mm -hmm. that you don't even necessarily realize it. Yeah. That you've got this influence that's like mm -hmm. basically make your own way, be your own boss, mm -hmm. determine your own destiny. Mm -hmm. At some point that sinks in. So now knowing that with your kids, do you, do, how does that all tie together? Do you just empower them to do their own thing and, and just be a good uh, example and let them figure it out? I, yeah, so it's really interesting with our kids because again, I'd say how we're approaching raising our kids is quite different today to what it was three, four years ago. Mm. So based on just giving this a little more thought and just being, yeah, well, what we spend a lot of time thinking about is what, it, what are the, firstly, what is, what's the resilience and capacity we want to give our kids? So, and are we prepared to swim against the tide in, in how we do that? Right. Cause the 
the career choices we've made are quite unconventional. Yeah. So if I look at kind of our friend group and our neighbors, we kind of stick out, right? In yeah. terms of it's it's pretty unusual. Maybe maybe it's not that unusual, but if set in our group, there's mm -hmm. not there's not that many entrepreneurs, not that many people who are kind of trying to take on certain big goals. Yeah. Um, so we then start thinking about our kids and okay, what 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 are the skills and what are the things that we want them to to have, and a big thing is the capacity for happiness. Yeah. And one of the people that has massively shaped us is a guy called Siken Robinson. Um, who sadly died a couple of years ago, but Siken spoke at our 2019 event ab about creativity. Mm. And he was um, one of the top kind of education pioneers of his time. Mm. And one of the things he's really known for is uh, his TED talk, Why Do Schools Kill Creativity? And that's the most viewed TED talk ever. It's been viewed, I think, almost 200 million times. Wild. So we had a chance to work with Siken and hang out with him mm -hmm. and we've read his books and mm -hmm. he's a ma you know, massive hero of ours. Um, but one of the things he really believes is that you've got this industrialized school system that is not necessarily fit for purpose in the world that we live in today. Mm -hmm. um, even down to how long lessons are and how classrooms are structured. And so we've kind of gone down this rabbit hole of how do we almost go against that system yep so we're homeschooling our kids cool we've got you know we're really trying to you know build their entrepreneurship and they're only seven and nine right awesome. sense of fun yeah so but you get a lot of raised eyebrows I because imagine, people dude. like nobody does the, it who are the weird people with <laughs> the fucking like, kooks next door <laughs> like, what the fuck <laughs> yeah exactly we're, well, we're those people which, for sure it, yeah. when you can then when you can look back and, and realize you know all the influences you had growing up that kind of shaped you into what you're doing yeah. right now if you can figure that out now and the, your kids are this young and you get to help them like for them to be at whatever age 18 19 20 25 and have and be very confident of what yeah. they're interested in and what they're good at yeah aren't you setting them up to just succeed you you hope so but you also it takes bravery and courage because well, you're, you're going against I do that. conventional I wisdom, it's right? Easy for me to say, I don't have kids. Yeah. And so it's, it, easy, it's easy for me to like... It's almost the worst thing is the judgment from other, sure from other parents because yes. it's like, oh, fuck, how are we going <laughs> to explain this, right? Yeah. You almost, But I think as we're getting more confident in those decisions, we're feeling less of a need to explain it. Yeah. And it's a bit like what we're doing in our work life actually we don't need to explain it as much as we did five or six mm. years ago because we're more confident in ourselves yeah. Yeah. and the decision that we've made. Do you also talk about it differently? You know, from five years ago to today, is there a different tone or a different message or a different way to articulate why you're doing what you're doing? I, you know, again, it might sound a bit strange, but I always feel like we're learning to honor what we're doing properly. Mm. I think we didn't actually honor the event initiative enough it was almost like it's a yeah. temporary thing yeah we almost had been this quick though right like, yeah it had been quick and it was almost this like mindset of in some ways it was self-protection right yeah. if if something fucked up or we couldn't deliver like one of my friends said to me the thing about this event it's like you have to get naked in front of two and a half thousand people 
And it's quite brave mm. to be willing to do that because mm. I mean, you're kind of asking to be judged by yeah. two and a half thousand people. And you know that you can't get everything right because there's thousands and thousands of details. Yeah. And, and you know, you'll know a certain speaker might not deliver or fall flat or you've got a certain issue with a partner. Yeah. But you, you know that you still have to be willing to mm. be courageous. So I think I'm learning to probably recognize that actually it has some permanence, hopefully, and longevity. Yep. And we have to treat it with that sense yep. of permanence. Whereas before it was like, oh, if it doesn't work out, well, mm -hmm. uh, we can wind it up kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's maybe the change in thinking. That makes sense. Um, <clears throat> it's been fascinating. That, so here's what a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't know. I never talk about this. I don't do any research on anybody. Yep. And the reason I, I don't do any research is because to experience what just happened here and to hear like your journey and not just like, hey, I put all these wins on the board, you know, like it's not this, it's not this chronological, like check, check, check. It's no. actually like a story. And that's why I, I will not research anybody because then if you're just, if you're just asking for the highlights of somebody's life, there's, it's not that interesting. No, no. And it's a sanitized version of yeah. often yeah. The, the highlights. Totally. So this was, this has been one of the most fascinating ones. Well, thanks so much. 50, right. 59 in and, and, you know, I had no, I had no idea what I was walking into. You know, <laughs> it's like, it, it's the, it's the basic checks, right? Good person. He's doing something cool. Those are, those are the two, like the two boxes that need to be checked yeah. to, to sit down with somebody. Yeah. And that's it. And, and it was very interesting just listening to you talk about, you know, when you preface, you're like, this sound might, this might sound silly or this. And I'm like, dude, I'm thinking the exact same thing. This, you understand the way I think. <laughs> so it was really, really cool, man. Um, the way I end the show is I ask one question. When I say Calgary, where's your head go? Opportunity. Yeah. Which I think that we're at this incredible tipping point for the city. We've got, you know, not to get into all the politics, we've always got a very important election coming up next year, mm -hmm. provincially. Um, I'm very much in the camp of we need to continue to transform and lean into change in a positive way. Yep. And uh, one of the things that gives me a lot of confidence in the city is just, just I get to meet so many great leaders and people. Like this, there's, a, there's a different energy about the city today than there was five or six years ago. Mm. So that excites me. So yeah, opportunity is the word that comes to mind. It's cool, man. Um, yeah, I can't thank you enough. Not at all. And and I, thanks so much for having me on. And yeah, it was it was cool to have this chat and totally. You know, some of this haven't you haven't shared before, so it's uh, it was you know cool to kind of you know go back to some of these moments mm. that have been pretty important. Oh yeah, man, I agree. I agree. And for me, it's like like I said to start to kick this whole thing off. That I'm like, well, how the fuck are we gonna get access to Graham? You know, because there's like there's a hierarchy, right? You gotta you gotta understand where you're punching it, and for you know, the only reason we're sitting down is because of Jackson and Tui. So it's, you know, it's all about connections. It's all about relationships. Yeah. But, and I, uh, I appreciate where you punch in this city. So I really appreciate your time. No, so I really appreciate having me on. It was a lot of fun to have the chat and uh, good luck with episode 60 coming up as yeah, well. Man. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Thanks so much.